Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Laszlo Montgomery here with part two of this brief series where we are navigating the timeline of China history, pausing here and there to note some of the more outrageous takeovers of the imperial government by eunuchs. As I mentioned last time, eunuch devastation was particularly noteworthy in the Han, Tang, and Ming dynasties. Last time, after a brief look at the Qin dynasty villain, Zhao Gao, and his whole cover-up of the death of the first Qin emperor and, and subsequent power grab, and then we jumped ahead to the eastern Han, the tail end. The dynasty was finally put out of its misery in 220 CE, but by as early as the 150s, the eunuchs had been able to take advantage of the turn of events, four bad emperors in a row, to effectively take over power and set themselves up, along with their relatives and other allies, into positions of power inside and outside the palace. And the eunuch's reputation for ruthlessness that knew no bounds was on ruinous display for everyone to see and for history to record with the ten attendants, the Shichang shirt of eastern Han Emperor Ling's time. They sort of stood out as a warning for future posterity to make every effort to draw a wall of separation between governing the palace and governing the state. And everyone should stay on their side of the wall. Well, we ended last time with the bloody defeat of the eunuchs who were wiped out by the warlord and major character from Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Yuan Shao, and others. History records a dramatic end to the rule of the Ten Attendants, and as I just said, they became the examples for future rulers to avoid at all costs. It sure is tempting to wander off and get lost in those magical decades between the fall of the Han and the end of the Three Kingdoms. If you ever wanted to hear the whole story, let me again recommend Mr. John Jew's Three Kingdoms podcast. He also has the Water Margin podcast, Outlaws of the Marsh. Go check those out blow-by-blow narration and explanation of everything Three Kingdoms, with free insight. Links at the show notes. My mission here is really to focus on the headlines. Eunuchs in the Han, Tang, and Ming. One noteworthy thing, I don't know if they just got tired of doing it or what the direct causes were, but castrating convicts and captured soldiers was outlawed during the Sui Dynasty. Others, too, had outlawed castration of prisoners, the Western Way as well. You might remember them. Prior to the Sui, the Western Way were the partial masters of northern China, 535 to 557, during the southern and northern dynasties period. We in our day would no doubt find a penalty as castration, utterly barbaric. Well, maybe as the centuries passed, other people thought so too. But the main point here is that with this pool of castrated males being taken out of the supply chain, that didn't mean demand for eunuchs was any less great. This is when the notion of getting into the business became a popular option to consider for those with few prospects, but seeking some upward mobility nonetheless. Now it starts to become much more common than before. You know, I've heard arguments about which period the eunuchs were more out of control, the Tang or the Ming. Many places on the web, you'll hear Wei Zhongxian called out as the worst of the worst, and we'll get to him. He, he was indeed destructive, you can say that. He was pretty bad. But was he the worst? Eh, some of these biggest names sort of become caricatures of their historic selves and popular Chinese history. 
Though eunuchs never went out of style between the 3rd and 6th centuries, there were no marquee incidents or upheavals on a national scale attributed to any repercussions of eunuchs seizing power and driving any kingdom or dynasty off the rails. As for the Tang Dynasty, besides the devastation of the Anlu Shan or Anshur Rebellion of 755 to 763, a high degree of credit can be given to the eunuchs, beginning with Xuanzong himself, a.k.a. Emperor Ming of Tang. Those two factors, Anlu Shan and the eunuchs, that was more than enough to bring down the dynasty. Xuanzong's Kaiyuan era from 713 to 756 was one of the greatest times in the whole Tang dynasty, rivaling Taizong's reign at the beginning. And not learning any lessons from Han Emperor Huan, who we looked at last time, Xuanzong welcomed eunuchs into the governing side of the royal business. There were a bunch of noteworthy eunuchs who served a particular emperor, and themselves, of course. And I'm not going to name every one who'd be here all day. There were certain eunuchs whose story was unique and went hand-in-hand with one single emperor. There were also a few who served multiple emperors. Well, I mentioned the Anshu Rebellion. If there was ever a turning point in the fortunes of the great Tang Dynasty, this upheaval and the widespread havoc it caused led to the deaths of millions. On the one hand, it was a violent and horrible time, but on the other hand, Li Bai, Du Fu, and Wang Wei were all living, so that couldn't have been all bad. The Xuanzong Emperor? The eunuch associated with his reign was Gao Li Shi. Gao cut his teeth under the Xuanzong Emperor's grand, Wu Zetian, and worked his way up the eunuch ladder. He had been most instrumental in helping to pave the way for Li Longji in 713 to outmaneuver his father, the retired Reizong Emperor. Thanks in large part to Gao Li Shi's loyalty and efficiency, Xuanzong was able to gain full power in the palace and ruled without his father always getting in the way. Gao Li Shi was his right hand, going way back and had earned all the respect accorded him by the emperor and his family. And though many later on in history asked, why'd you have to go and do all that? Xuanzong made Gao Li Shi a general of the imperial guards. There wasn't a document or message destined for the emperor that didn't go through Gao Li Shi's hands first. Xuanzong left everything to him. It had been Gao Li Shi who helped to make it easy for Xuanzong to enjoy the beauty and wiles of Yang Guifei. Later on, it will be Gao Li Shi who escorts this favorite consort of the emperor, one of the four beauties of China, to her death in the fateful year of 756. Gao Li Shi's loyalty to Xuanzong was unquestioned. And I hate to spoil things, but he doesn't make any of the top ten lists of the worst eunuchs of all time. But he did steal a lot of wealth and got his hands on the levers of power, both in the government and the military, and with the precedents established during his time at the top, he made it easy for the next powerful eunuch to rise to great heights and really do some damage. That next powerful eunuch was Li Fu Guo. Just as Gao Li Shi had been so instrumental in Xuanzong's rise to the top, so it was with Li Fu Guo and Xuanzong's son and successor, Emperor Suzong. Li Fu Guo, he was Emperor Suzong's guy. 
Xuanzong made the dangerous move to allow his chief eunuch to have some power and access to authority outside of the palace. And Gao Lishe's abuse of this trust doesn't rank very high as eunuch outrageousness went. But Li Fu Guo, <laughs> that's a completely different kettle of fish, and he checked all the boxes as far as how bad a eunuch can get. By the way, he made Gao Lishe's last years as miserable as he could. Those two were not friends and allies, and Li Fu Guo never hesitated to fill Su Zong's head with notions about his father, the former Emperor Xuanzong, and Gao Li Shi, always being up to no good. So in short, he was a miscreant, and he had the perfect master in the Su Zong Emperor who was only too happy to shower him with honorary titles and surrender almost all his power and authority to Li Fu Guo, who in turn was only too happy to accept it. Affairs of state, control of the treasury, anything that had to do with the emperor, including all communication, everything went through Li Fu Guo. If you wanted an audience with Emperor Su Zong, he had to go through Li Fu Guo. He regularly made decisions in the emperor's name, and in general, until the end of Su Zong's reign in 762, famously a mere 13 days after the passing of his father, the Xuanzong emperor, you could say Li Fu Guo, he controlled everything and ran a classic, eunuch, dictatorial reign of terror in the palace and for all those in the government. He was feared, and his power was absolute. And like it was in every case, Li Fu Guo was able to achieve what he did thanks to the emperor. If you couldn't have a child or infant on the throne, at least have a dim-witted one. I won't call the Su Zong emperor that, but he never relented in his backing of Li Fu Guo, and without fail allowed him to carry out all the abuses he did. There was a close call in 759 with uh, one of Su Zong's more upright officials bringing him to his senses about Li Fu Guo, but in a classic theme that keeps repeating itself throughout the centuries and even into modern history, someone leaked word to the bad guy and evil ended up prevailing. It's one of the oldest themes in Chinese ancient history going back to Qu Yuan and the Warring States period. He was the upright official, pointing out problems and mistakes to the king and having the whole thing backfire on him. Li Fu Guo had an ally in the emperor's inner circle, namely the empress. She had been his closest and most powerful friend in the palace, and both Li Fu Guo and this Empress Chang sort of rose up together and proved valuable to each other at key times. That is, until Emperor Su Zong died suddenly and they both turned on each other. Li Fu Guo, he triumphed in that uh, political struggle. And as it always was, not only was Empress Zhang murdered, Li Fu Guo went after all her allies as well. And after the new emperor Daizong settled on his throne, he conspired with Li Fu Guo's enemies in the palace and in the military, of which there were many, and planned a takedown. And after Su Zong's passing and at the dawn of Daizong's reign, Li Fu Guo had carried out terrible abuses of power with impunity. And with this feeling of invincibility, he got taken down several notches. Dai Zong, backed by his political allies, issued an edict that essentially defanged Li Fu Guo and stripped him of all his power and authority. And like Michael did with Fredo and the Godfather, Dai Zong sent him away with honors and later on sent an assassin who murdered him. Payback for Empress Zhang. That was in 762. The following year, in 763, the
the Anlushan Rebellion, which had been playing in the background all this time, finally came to an end. The seeds had already been planted for the demise of the Tang Dynasty with all the warlords who helped quell the rebellion and were now firmly entrenched in their power bases. The rebellion may have ended, but that didn't mean these warlords were going to follow the Duke of Zhou's example and surrender their power back to the center. Now was the time to eh, wait and see what happened next. The Daizong Emperor, too. Eh, Why should he be any different? He got to be the new emperor thanks to a little help from his friends, namely eunuchs Cheng Yuan Chen and Yu Chao En. From now until the very end, every Tang emperor will have one or two eunuchs riding on their coattails in the palace and beyond. Cheng Yuan Chen... He made an early exit from the reign of Daizong thanks to some poor military advice that forced the emperor to have to abandon the palace in Chang'an and escape to Sanmenxia in Henan to the east. Cheng Yuanzhen was forced to give up all the riches he had hoarded and then by the emperor's orders was exiled where he died shortly thereafter. And this is where Yu Chao'an stepped in and filled the eunuch power vacuum. He too reached that stage where He was able to lord it over everyone, including the emperor sometimes. So arrogant had he become with all his power, wealth, and privileges. But Emperor Daizong ended up putting an end to Yu Chao'an in 770. He personally signed his death warrant. And after the deed was done, well, he claimed Yu had committed suicide. In any case, that was it for Yu Chao'an. The Daizong emperor hung in there till 779, and not for lack of trying... He couldn't rein in the provinces. They were lost, and he was starting to look like some late Eastern Zhou Dynasty king with powers that didn't stretch very far, you know, compared to Tang emperors of years past. Next up was the Dezong emperor, and he too, he made a noble effort to hold everything together, but he didn't have any luck either. His big mistake was handing over control of the Imperial Guard to his two eunuchs, Dou Wenchang and Huo Xianming. The Imperial Guard, or Shan Cijun, was the emperor's personal army. Nobody outtrumped them. And in 786, he handed control of this force to his eunuchs, and then expanded their reach to include the whole military. Dezong made them eunuch protectors of the army. Their hold over the capital and surrounding areas became absolute. No eunuchs up till that point had held so much military power in their hands. The eunuchs used their control of the Shansa army to carry out strong-arm tactics to shake down not only officials, but the common people as well. The eunuchs in power, Dou Wenchang and Huo Xianming, were remembered most of all for carrying out acts of extortion against many political targets. Lives were ruined and fortunes confiscated in this money grab during the 790s. The Dezong emperor just sat back and let it all happen. And why not? These eunuchs were loyal to him, acted as his spies, did his bidding, and protected him against the officials who he never trusted. For his last ten years as emperor, Dezong withdrew from day-to-day affairs, became an absentee emperor, and his eunuchs gladly picked up the slack. He allowed them to do all the smashing and grabbing they were doing as his agents. The tale wasn't wagging the dog just yet, but... Dezong will be the last Tang emperor who exercises some modicum of control over his eunuchs. And once he died in 805 from a similar kind of death as the 
first Qin emperor, death by alchemy, palace eunuchs grabbed hold of all the real power in the capital, and over the next century, they rode the Tang dynasty all the way into the ground. By now, eunuchs had been permitted to adopt other eunuchs. Now, they couldn't leave all their wealth and power to any family heirs. Their castration saw to that. But now, in this late part of the Tang, they were allowed to formally adopt younger eunuchs who they groomed as their own family and who, well, after the older eunuch's passing, could inherit his wealth and positions of power. And it was during De Zong's time this matter of adoption and eunuchs heading up entire families was permitted. And though it probably wasn't like your family and mine, it was a very complex thing and became part of the eunuch culture. So 805 was one of those red-letter years in Chinese imperial history. The death of an emperor was always a golden opportunity for something violent or untoward to happen, usually in the form of some succession struggle or crisis. Wherever there were eunuchs, there was always some opposing faction, usually court officials, who were like the Democrats and Republicans of American politics. They always tried to outmaneuver the other, no matter the cost to the nation or damage to the traditional power structure. And with the passing of Dezong, this was on full display. His heir, the crown prince, had suffered a debilitating stroke. But despite his infirmity, he was still made the next emperor, though he won't last long. And this new emperor, Xunzong, was not the eunuch's choice. And after six months, he died or was killed. The eunuch saw to that. And the next Tang emperor was their guy. And this was the Xianzong emperor. One of his own eunuchs is going to end up killing him, but Xianzong, he gets most of the blame for allowing the eunuchs to settle in and eventually control the entire power structure of the Tang. And they did this to such an extent that in order to get rid of the eunuchs, well, you would have to just burn down the whole dynasty to the ground, or what was left of it, and start all over. The Tang Xianzong emperor, like all his predecessors going back to Xianzong and Gao Lishi, he had his own eunuch as well, who was closely associated with his reign that lasted 805 to 820. And this was Tutu Chengcui. Yeah, I know, strange-sounding name. No one knows how he got that. Tutu, aside from sharing the same-sounding surname as the once Archbishop of Cape Town, was perhaps of Xianbei origin. Tutu Chengcui... Nothing too egregious about his actions during Xianzong's time, except to say he tried to influence events upon the death of Xianzong in 820. He wasn't successful in getting his choice on the throne, and his political maneuverings ended up costing him his life. And just as we count down the years of a dynasty by observing the acts of each emperor, so it was in the late Tang with notable eunuchs. And next up was Wang Shoucheng. Now, he had some staying power lasting through the reigns of Xianzong, Muzong, Jingzong, and Wenzong. Wang Shoucheng had been involved in the killing of Tutu Chengcui following the death of Xianzong in 820. The eunuchs often had no qualms about eating their own. Eunuchs, murdering eunuchs, was something often happening while all this madness was going on in the dying decades of the dynasty. Muzong was another wastrel of an emperor, more in love with the perks of the job than the actual job itself. Commanders out in the surrounding provinces kept up the long-running struggle between the center and themselves. His father, Emperor Xianzong, had been somewhat successful 
in reining in these independent-minded regional military governors or jiatushers. But with Muzong in charge, once again, the center's power of gravity dissipated and the Tang Dynasty once again found itself in a death spiral. And these final 83 years following Muzong's death in 824 were starting to look familiar to those final decades of the Han. One bad emperor after the next, a steady degradation of the power center. All that was needed to make sure this dynasty never recovered was some mass rebellion. And they got that later on in the form of the Huangchao Rebellion, 874 to 884. Let's first look at another example how when a focused and concerted effort to rid the eunuchs of any and all executive and military authority was foiled, the eunuchs would bounce back stronger and more wicked than ever before. The Qingzong Emperor, well, he never made it out of his teens before he was assassinated in 827. Wang Shoucheng kept things from completely unraveling, but he and his eunuch allies kept all decision-making powers in their hands, fighting off anyone who tried to get in the way. And the Tang Jingzong Emperor, eh, he had been another Muzong who was allergic to work, and between his immaturity and youth, was easy meat for the eunuchs. While this young emperor was busy having a great time, the eunuchs in charge held him in the palm of their hands, and in his name, engaged in all manners of struggles with anyone trying to silence them or push them back into the inner palace where they belonged. Finally, in 827, this fun-loving Jingzong emperor was murdered by a couple eunuchs, and what followed was another classic power struggle between two factions. Wang Shoucheng was still directing the show at this point, and the last royal standing, who the eunuchs chose, became Emperor Wenzong, the Jingzong emperor's kid brother. Wenzong, he reigned 827 to 840 long enough to do plenty of damage to the already beyond repair Tang dynasty. He at least had the sense to try and make a concerted effort in 835 to get rid of the eunuchs. The plan, when it was hatched, called for Wang Shoucheng's forced suicide on charges laid against him. And then, when all the most important eunuchs came for the funeral ceremony, the plan was essentially to carry out a turkey shoot and just murder them all at once. And this whole plan climaxed on December 14th, 835. The Sweet Du or Gan Lu incident went down at the palace in Chang'an. And once again, like a movie plot that keeps repeating itself in different films, Emperor Wenzong joined together with his most loyal officials who had served his father as well. And together they plotted to strike against the eunuchs and wrest all this power from them and eliminate the most powerful leaders, who were mainly two eunuchs, Qiu Shiliang and Yu Hongzhi. These two were instrumental in marshalling the eunuch forces, as well as the Shanzi armies under their control, to foil the plans of Emperor Wenzong and his officials to cut them off at the knees and remove Qiu, Yu, and others from such powerful positions, namely by killing them. But they found out, as I said, it was as if you could never keep a secret from a eunuch. And the backlash against the emperor and his officials following this incident was deadly and thorough. The three chancellors who worked with Wenzong most closely in this conspiracy got the old Yao John punishment. Yao means your waste, and John means to slay, chop, or cut. No need to go into any more detail than that. This is a family program. 
And after these loyal officials had their yaojan, they were decapitated and had their heads displayed at a conspicuous location for all to see. And the murder that followed, and white terror directed against anyone and everyone related to all these plotters, allies of plotters, their families, and any other minnow who got caught up in that net, was something no one who lived through it would ever forget. Well, this carnage at the topmost levels of power carried well into 836, so if we officially peg the fall of the Tang in 907 to the time when Zhu Wen killed Emperor Ai, there were now 71 years remaining. These were not very good years for the dynasty, or for all of northern China, and it would stay that way until 960, when Zhao Kuangyin founded the Song Dynasty. And at least until the end of the Tang... The eunuchs put every last emperor on the throne and didn't let anyone get close to having any say in the decision of the moment. And after this Ganlu incident of December 835, no one ever messed with them again. Not in the Tang Dynasty, at least. The remaining emperors, from 840 to 888, Wu Zong, Xuan Zong, Yi Zong, and Xi Zong, they may have dreamed about pushing back against the eunuchs surrounding them day and night, but they knew better. And then came Emperor Zhao Zong. Ah, we're almost at the very end. 888 to 900. Now, when I say no one ever tried any deadly pushback against the eunuchs, I mean from inside the capital, and certainly from inside Ground Zero in the palace. But one day, one of Zhao Zong's ministers told him, how about inviting one or two of his uh, warlord acquaintances from outside the capital to come in and do the dirty work for them? And this is how Zhu Wen, who I just mentioned a little bit ago, that's how he entered the picture. He's also known as Zhu Quanzhong, and not to skip ahead, but once he had the last Tang emperor snuffed out, he went and founded his own later Liang dynasty, the first of the five northern dynasties sandwiched in between the Tang and the Song. And towards the end of 902, Zhu Wen, in collusion with a host of other military leaders, big and small, most prominently perhaps Li Maochun, a Shanxi warlord, headed in the direction of the Tang capital and carried out a rather prodigious slaughter of all the eunuchs who had been lording it over everyone at the Tang court for so long now. Li Maochun was also one of those former Jiedushers, who became a warlord. He later on went on to found the state of Qi, located around the region that was his power base, parts of Shanxi, Gansu, and Sichuan. Like everything about the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms period that followed, nothing was terribly long-lasting. So you be the judge. Do you think the eunuchs brought down the Tang? Starting from the latter part of Xuanzong's reign with Gao Lishir, that's when they started to become the problem they ultimately became. So next episode, the one you've all been waiting for, we'll first take a look at the Song Dynasty. Now those guys saw what happened in the Tang, and they swore not to let matters get out of hand with their eunuchs. So the Song doesn't have nearly the action or double-crossing that the history of the eunuchs had during the late Han or Tang. Therefore, that means we'll get to the Ming Dynasty that much faster. And if you think it was bad in the Tang with the eunuchs, wait till the Ming. Until then, this here is Laszlo Montgomery signing off on a lovely Los Angeles day here. Once more, I humbly enjoin you to head over to patreon.com slash China History Podcast and 
consider supporting this decade-long effort of mine. Three bucks a month doesn't seem like much, but that'll allow me to keep this CHP program going at least another couple weeks. So until that time, I'll be sitting in this rocking chair waiting for you, and with your great support, we'll perhaps meet again for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast. Take care, everyone.